Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 490 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today, a returning guest, Julia. Julia and I always have big plans about talking about a certain subject, and then we have these lovely conversations, and I don't know if we ever get to the subject or not, but Julia's got type 1 diabetes forever. She's actually got a, a long list of uh, what they might call the bona fides. You'll hear it in a second. And um, anyway, she's cool, and this is a great conversation. I probably should have said, Julia's back. I like Julia. We have a great time talking. Here it is. That is what I should have said. There's too much talking in the beginning. All right. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan. We're becoming bold with insulin. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod tubeless insulin pump. It is also sponsored by Touched by Type 1. Check out Touched by Type 1 at touchedbytype1.org or on Facebook and Instagram. And while we're at it, I'd like to remind you about the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. It is my favorite meter, the bestest one I've ever held and used. It is super accurate. You'll love it. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. I am a diabetes care and education specialist, registered nurse. And I have my doctor of philosophy or PhD in nursing science. All right. And you've had type one for how long? And I've lived with type one actually for 21 years. I just um, reached my anniversary last week. You know, well, first of all, congratulations. And secondly, you know, you confused me because you look younger than you are, even though you're not old. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone's always said I've looked younger than I am. So my mom has good genes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you're in your early, you're in your early thirties, right? No, no, I'm not. Wait a minute. I'm not. How old are you? I'm in my late twenties. Oh, I like how you made that distinction. Like it was a big deal, <laughs> Scott. I'm I not. Feel like I'm getting old, so Scott, I'm not <laughs> I'm 31. I'm 29. It's a huge difference when you really think about it. I'm actually 28. So, okay, so, well, then that begs the question. How are you so accomplished at 28? Yeah, so I think a lot of it goes back to um, my personal story and my own experiences living with type 1 diabetes. And when I was diagnosed, we didn't know anyone with diabetes. And, you know, at the time, um, there wasn't a lot of social support on the Internet because it wasn't really a thing yet. Um, I don't even think Google existed when I was diagnosed. So we actually met a lot of local families who we are still in touch with. And we had a great support system um, through kind of the families that we knew from town. And then also just from our family friends and from my friends. And they really lifted me up and I saw the power of community come together. That being said, I didn't have a very traumatic diagnosis. I 
wasn't very sick. Um, obviously my parents thought I was very sick because, um, they, they, they didn't have a child with a chronic condition before that, but I wasn't in DKA. Um, when I went to the hospital, it was more just to learn how to manage diabetes than to treat me for something really critical. So, and then coming out of that, I was kind of put into a situation with a great support network. And then from there, I, you know, my parents were really supportive in a way that worked. Um, they really encouraged independence, but they weren't pushy about it. And I think I kind of just took everything on myself as I was ready. Mm-hmm. Don't feel like your child has to do this. I think that part of that is innately who I am. I think I'm a pretty, like, I want to do things. I, um, I get really interested and passionate about things and want to learn how to do them and want to learn how to help other people. And so that kind of led me um, to my career path. So when I applied to college, um, I, I didn't know if I wanted to be a nurse because I wasn't thinking I wanted to be a bedside nurse. I really wanted to be a diabetes care and education specialist, like the nurse practitioner that took great care of me and really empowered me to not let diabetes get in my way and to really live a normal childhood that my mom and dad provided me. Right. So when I applied to college, um, I kind of, I knew I wanted to go into healthcare, but I wasn't so sure I wanted to go into nursing at first because I, I knew I didn't want to be a typical bedside nurse. And I knew I'd had to have to go through all of that training. And then I knew that the path to becoming a diabetes care and education specialist wasn't going to be really direct. Like I know I may have to take on other jobs in order to get there. You know, turns out, oh, sorry. (laughs) No, no. Let me say that. I think it's interesting that we, uh, how we sort of sometimes judge people, right? Like this idea of like, this one's not trying hard enough or that one doesn't want it enough. Instead of just saying some people just aren't wired that way, right? Like as you're talking, you wouldn't even know this about your, I mean, maybe you'd know it about yourself, but I don't think you'd recognize it as you heard yourself explaining your life. But you're obviously going to just be kind of balls to the wall no matter what you do. And and that you were, you know, kind of lit up by somebody who helped you at one point and made a decision to go in that direction to help other people. That's that's amazing. But what I'm saying is I think that if you if you would have been 12 years old and gone to the library and been like, this is the most magical place. You'd be the most accomplished librarian in your town right now. Like, like I, do you know what I mean? Like you, you have that thing. And, and while that's laudable and amazing and the world needs you, I think that if your kid is somebody who gets up in the morning, is like, I want to draw pictures and walk around outside and look at the sky. You can't look at them and say, Oh, I wish they were more like this person. I think they're just who they are. And the reason I bring that up is because I think that that translates into how people manage their type one. And I've been around people long enough just on the periphery to see that I don't think there are motivated people who really care about their health and unmotivated people who don't care about their health. I think there are just different ways people's brains work. And that applies to everything, even when it's something as serious as diabetes. But I, I did. Yeah, I, I you cut. nailed it. No, you totally nailed it. And I think like even thinking about the difference between me and my brother, like he's the kind of, he's artsy. He's, um, he's a jazz musician. And I think growing up, like I was very driven with academics and, you know, you might call me type A. And I think he, you know, he was very not. And I think 
if he were diagnosed with diabetes innately, his management style would be a lot different than mine. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. No, no. And I think it's funny too, when we hear type A, I think it it probably lights up two different parts of people's brains. Either (laughs) you hear type A and you think, oh, that's a person who's going to be successful at what they do. Or you hear type A and think, Oh, well, there's a crazy person who's going to go to extremes and ruin their lives focusing on minutia. <laughs> yeah, no, that's I, I'm t- I'm I'm the A type A, not the B type A. How's that? <laughs> but but I, I you know, like you hear people say sometimes and, and it always comes off wrong, but I don't think we hear it correctly. I'm glad child a got diabetes and not child B because child B wouldn't have handled it well. I think that's taken wrong. Nobody's nobody's wishing diabetes on child a in this scenario they're just saying for as hard as this is and as well or not well as this is going right now if the other one got it it would have gone worse because they know their personality yeah but i think if you look at it from a different angle it could have gone differently right so someone like my brother he's not super type a so maybe it wouldn't have impacted his life in the same way it impacts me, but maybe he would have found other ways to manage. Like, you know, he uses music as an avenue um, to kind of keep himself mentally healthy. And so I just think everyone's different, but I'm glad you brought this up because this is, so uh, my first summer working as a nurse at diabetes camp was when I realized that not everyone had the same diabetes experience as me. And I, when I really, my eyes were really open to see that everyone had a different self-management style and different support resources. And that's actually what drove me to apply to do my PhD was when I saw all those differences and I saw that my experience was so different and that I realized that I wanted to dedicate my life to this and learn about how to help other people who had greater barriers than me. And I I have to tell you that I'm very focused on this too, sort of behind the scenes because, and he he doesn't come up very frequently on the show, but my friend Mike has passed now and he was diagnosed with type one when we were like 19 or 18, somewhere in there. And he was just a a, a voracious, passionate reader. Um, He liked photography, art, you know, he, he wanted to see cinema. He wasn't, he didn't care about making a lot of money. He wasn't Mm -hmm. looking to dominate a business. He wasn't trying to be a millionaire. He wanted to get up in the morning, enjoy other people's artistic endeavors and, and, you know, try to add to them himself. But mainly he was happy to take in other stuff because he wasn't a voracious reader. Like today I'm going to learn about how, you know, uh, a fulcrum works. He wasn't going to read a 300 page book on, you know, engineering. He was reading for pleasure. He was reading for escape you know, and this was him well before, well before diabetes. He was always a kid talking about comic books back when nobody talked about comic books. And mm-hmm. and he was just a good guy. He was bright and he was articulate and caring. And when he got diabetes, it wasn't something that he was going to be able to pick apart on the level that I picked it apart, for example. But it doesn't mean that he should have had to pass before he was 50. You you know, and I understand that when Mike was diagnosed, it was, you know, regular and MPH and, and, you know, he didn't have a meter and nothing was the same as as it is now. But still, I don't know that physicians don't sometimes look at people and go, oh, well, they're just not going to do as good of a job. And I guess that's what that is. And and I don't think that has to be the case necessarily. 
Yeah. I mean, I try, I mean, I don't try. Um, what I do actually is I don't, I don't really look at someone's going to do worse than someone else. Like I really try my very best to make sure that everyone has adequate resources and they're given a chance. And I think a lot of times you kind of have to meet people where they are, which maybe at a different place and you really have to consider their life and their factors and figure out how to best support them. And I think not everyone gets that. No, I, I agree with you. It's a, it's an overused phrase, meet someone where they are, but it's intention is, you know, is just as good as saying, uh, you know, you know, you know, I hate it when people say, I think outside of the box, I'm like, "Mm, if you did, you wouldn't say that, but I hear what you're getting at, (laughs) but no, but I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. No, no, no. I agree with you. Yeah. 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 Like meeting someone where they are just means, you know, you don't, well, you don't approach a, you don't approach a five-year-old and try to explain calculus to them. You start with what they can take in and, and it's hard to think about people that way during a medical situation, but some people are going to walk into a doctor's office and not have either the capacity, the desire, the drive, or maybe even the knowledge of how important it is to apply to when somebody says to you, hey, I see you're spiking every morning. Tell me what you're eating for breakfast. And you're having three things that compete with insulin all in different ways. Um you know, you're having a, a a cereal bar, which is going to hit for forever and hard. And then you're mixing in some sort of like fruit juice, which is going to hit you really fast and spike you up and something. And you've now mixed in every difficult food into one thing and your blood sugar jumps up to 200. It stays there for a while. It comes crashing back down. You stop it with some juice. You overcorrect it. It goes back up. How many times do I have to tell you you can't eat that for breakfast or you have to thoughtfully figure out how to put the insulin in. And how many times do I watch you not do it or not be able to accomplish it before as a practitioner? I think, well, I guess this person's just going to do this in the morning and they're not, they're not motivated to change. Well, and that's where I come in as I show them the data and kind of help them figure out, okay, if you really like this cereal, how can we eat it in a way that won't spike you as much? Yeah. Well, but you know, the problem is, and this is off track already, all of our conversations are going to end up being (laughs) off track, but, um, but I can bolus for those things. I'm sure other people can too, but there's so many considerations along the way and you have to have a real confident understanding of the insulin so that you're not afraid of it and all this other stuff has to happen. And then the, then, then the X factor is of course, they don't eat it in front of you. So they're doing things that are impacting the outcome that they don't know are impacting the outcome that you can't see because you're not with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tricky. And I think with a lot of providers, like if you don't have time to actually help the person with diabetes think about all of the factors, it's really hard for them to then understand how to make changes. I've helped two separate people in the last 10 days. One of them listened. Wow. And one of them is listening, sort of. And you can see it on their graphs. And I don't know how to tell the second person if you would just stop thinking for five minutes and just listen. This would be okay. You'd see it be okay. And then you'd learn how to mimic it. But they're, they fight against it. It's, um, and I don't mean fight in like a adversarial way. I mean that I, again, I think they're doing something they don't realize they're doing that's having a big impact. And because I can't be with them, I don't know how to, I, I don't know how to stop them. 
you, you know, long enough. You know how like sometimes when, like a kid freaks out, sometimes you have to just go like, all right, all right, all right, everybody stop. Everybody stop. We're going to start over again. I feel like people's management is like that sometimes. Like a, it's like a, like a kid that's out of control. I was going to say tantruming, but I don't mean it like that. I mean, just like there's craziness and yelling and arms flailing and, and, and sometimes you just got to stop. You, you know, you got to stop and start over and, and try to see the bigger picture. I don't know. Yeah. Well, all right, yeah. Julia, I don't know how that happened. You know, I <laughs> got interested in something that you said, and then I was like, oh, well, that's got nothing to do while why she's on, but that's interesting. <laughs> uh, um, we're we're going to talk about two simple things today, I think, that are very difficult, but simple questions. And there are questions right. from the Facebook group, uh, the private Facebook group. I, first one is, how do I manage a kid with type one so they don't also suffer from depression, anxiety, eating disorders, stuff like that? And what do I do if these things happen anyway? So how do you talk to people about those issues? And can yeah. they be avoided? Yeah. So this is definitely a long conversation. It's not going to be a boom, boom, boom answer. Go ahead. Um, yeah. So you know, people with diabetes, children, adolescents, young adults, adults have a higher risk than the general population of anxiety and depression. And then those eating disorders typically emerge during the adolescent young adult years, which we're also at higher risk for. So why do we have such a high risk? So, you know, a lot of living with a chronic condition and the extra stressors definitely contribute to an increase in risk for those mental health comorbidities. But if you go to the roots of it, so, you know, there's some people, and we were kind of talking about this before that are innately more prone to anxiety. So that's kind of in its own bucket. Right. Mm -hmm. And so example, like I'm innately more prone to anxiety. Like I have anxiety at baseline. That being said, the anxiety I have isn't particularly related to diabetes. It's related to other things. So somehow I, somehow it doesn't relate to diabetes for me. Um, but <laughs> is it a, but can I have I ask, anxiety, right? Isn't that crazy? Is um, it a driver yeah. in your type A personality? Yeah, I'm innately more prone to that anxiety. And I think, so what I was about to go into though, is I think a lot of it has to do with your diagnosis story, right? So I didn't have a traumatic experience. And then I was surrounded by a great level of support and encouragement and people that lifted me up and helped me feel normal and gave me a sense of normalcy. And my providers increased my self-efficacy and self-management skills and confidence. And all of those factors are protective against anxiety and depression related to diabetes in a young child, right? So I had resources, I had support. At the time, my family functioning um, was was high, and we were banded together. Change later down the road, but right. you know, family functioning in itself contributes to the risk of anxiety and depression in kids with diabetes. Um, and you know, I really just had that stable support system, and I didn't have a traumatic diagnosis. Now, had I had a traumatic diagnosis, the best thing would have been to go right to get um, psychological help. And I think a lot of the pediatric diabetes clinics, um, as part of their standard care, do have the family meet with a pediatric psychologist at diagnosis. And I think that's good practice because, you know, like a kid adjusting to a new diagnosis and changing what's normal can induce a lot of anxiety. 
So I think that's something that everyone should do if you have the chance to do it. Um, Now, that being said, I think anything that's new and different can definitely lead to those feelings of anxiety and depression, right? But depression, I think, comes more from the burden and the burnout related to diabetes. Sometimes it'll happen at diagnosis, but that's usually more for like young adults and adults. It could happen with kids too, but um, I think with kids, we see more of the depression happening in like the adolescent, young adult years related to just the burden of diabetes and being different and having to deal with this and having those blood sugar swings that can also contribute to feelings of depression. Um, so I think that answered part of it. I have a Did question. I give you enough factors? <laughs> well, no, I, I want to ask a question. So yes. do you see outcomes driving burnout? Like do people who have amazing, or are there two different ways to burnout? I guess is my question. So let's say that like someone has the outcome they want more often than not, right? Whatever it is mm-hmm. they're, they're aiming for. And does that person get tired of diabetes less than a person who has crazy variability that feels uncontrollable and everything feels like it's not within their power to affect? So person B is going to be more prone to getting burnt out, but person A can definitely get burnt out too. So, But in a different way, right? In a focused way. Yeah. yeah. So like if you don't know how to con- how to manage your diabetes and you don't have resources and you feel like everything's out of your control, that out of control feeling is going to re- lead to burnout. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes you can get you know tired and just emotionally at your capacity when you are really intensively doing something like the other type of person that you Describe. So it can go either way, but definitely the person that doesn't have the tools or understanding will ha- probably have a greater chance. I, I just wrote a note for myself because I just found myself thinking that I want to talk to Jenny too about what it feels like for her when she burns out because I, if she does, because she appears to be the kind of person who's just got a good disposition. I don't even know how I mean that exactly, but I don't think Jenny gets down for long, but I'm wondering if I'm wrong and I want to, and now I want to find out because if she experiences it, then everybody's going to, because she is amazing at her outcomes. She's, she's not burdened by her meal choices. Like she's not getting up every day going, I can't believe I have to eat this. Like she's happy the way she eats. Um, and she understands how to use her insulin. So I obviously, I mean, you've listened to the podcast for a while. Yeah. I believe that if you understand how to use insulin, you'll have more frequent, stable outcomes, and that'll make things easier for you. I wonder if I don't not think about it as burnout because I don't have diabetes. I think about it as aggravation. Like, well, so if you're if you're someone like me or Jenny, I'm gonna grit myself with Jenny because I I find that I'm exactly what you just described. Like, I'm happy with what I eat. Um, you know, there are times when I get frustrated, like if my blood sugar is higher than usual and won't come down, like, yeah, that's frustrating. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I knock on wood, I've never gone through a period of burnout with diabetes. And I think a lot of it is because I, I do understand and I'm not hard on my, like, even though I'm, you know, we talked about how I'm type a, but I'm not hard on myself with diabetes because 
you can control what you can control and you do your best and you understand what you understand and you try to minimize the fluctuations and patterns and that's your best. And so to me, I don't get frustrated when things go slightly wrong because they're going to go slightly wrong sometimes, right? If I have a bad site, for example, or if I miscount carbs and that to me, that's, that is what it is. We're not perfect. But I I do think, so the people that seem to get burnt out are also people that I find a lot of times they're putting in way more effort than they have to be because something else can be changed. Okay. I, I Okay. So they're working hard. It's like they're beating their head against the wall. They're trying yeah. the wrong things. And they don't realize that they think they're the right. Yeah. So that's my other thing. But you, you were talking about like getting frustrated about a, at a high blood sugar. And even that can be dependent on your level of, I think knowledge and skill around using insulin, because if, if a blood sugar appears to just magically get high, that's one frustration, right? That's a frustration that there's magic happening that I'm unaware of and don't know how to control. And it's causing this blood sugar. Now, I don't believe in magic, right? Right. I don't either, but I think that's how people feel about it. It's the diabetes fairy has decided your blood sugar is going to be high. Right. But instead that's not why like you listen, I'll say it here and I mean it and I'll defend it anywhere. If your blood sugar is too high or too low, you're using insulin wrong. That's it. And so there's no more or less to it than that. Um, Yeah. How to to use it correctly, there's a lot to, but at its core. Go ahead. I think what I was trying to get at is even like someone like me, and I bet Jenny will admit to this too, like I'm not 100% in range with a flat line all the time. I'm close, (laughs) but I'm not, you know, I have, like there are things that I do that I want to do that'll vary my blood sugar a little bit sometimes. And I just, I don't get frustrated with it because it is what it is. Does yeah. that make sense? Oh no, it does immediately a hundred percent. And I agree with you. I, I don't, I know there are people who feel like it's it, it, that they want to keep their blood sugar at 83 for their whole life. And there are ways to eat that keep it that way. Like you can, but I'm not that person. Right, you know? right. Like I, I understand the science behind it. You know, the, you know, there might be people that listen to this that have a different viewpoint and I understand that, but from my standpoint, there's no point in me trying to lower my A1C. Like I'm already at a level where I feel is low enough. Um, and that I don't put in a huge amount of effort to get here. And so I'm like, why would I put in more effort to get lower when the data is showing that I'm not, you know, I'm not varying mm-hmm. and my risk of complications with this A1C is A1C and really time and range, right. And my variability is quite minimized so why would i try to make it flatter than this like yeah. that's kind of how i feel oh yeah i i'll give you an example i just have to open up this app so <laughs> arden's blood sugar right now is 120 it's been addressed okay like it's it's we've i've addressed a 120 with the same you know veracity that somebody might address a 300 i'm like i have to, yeah, i'm going to make that 85 again um but looking at arden's i have arden's last seven days here Estimated A1C 5.4, standard deviation 30, um, code of, uh, coefficient of variance uh, 28, and an average blood sugar of 107. Arden's A1C has been in the mid fives for years. It's been between 5.2 and 6.2 for like seven years now. And right now she's in class. You know, she's in her bedroom in front of a laptop, but still she's in class and something clearly happened that made her blood sugar go up a little bit. 
and I'm not going to overbolus a 120 and cause her to have to have carbs a half an hour from now so that the 120 only exists for a half an hour instead of an hour. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I just th- yeah. that seems okay to me. Like I've seen my own blood sugar and 120 happens. Yeah, it does. You know, so um, I think that in the pursuit of stopping a 300, there's this anxiety that comes as soon as you see the blood sugar going up, it's gone to 300 so many times. You're just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. If it ever goes up, it's definitely going to go to 300. But we don't live in that space. Arden's insulin is set up in such a specific way that it's nearly impossible for her blood sugar to go to 300 unless something radical happens like her pump gets knocked off or you know like something like that yeah but, but you know what i've even noticed when my site gets like when i have a bad joy i can't hear now. you uh-oh can you hear me now try again you even notice when your site can you hear me now no you're really low hold on that could be me it is me it's not you can you hear me now? No, give me one second. There's a setting in here that I have to. Why does it want to do that? That is unpleasant. Hold on one silly second. Okay. All right, guys. You're there. You even. Hey, check out touchedbytype1.org. They're a great organization doing absolutely astonishing things for people living with type 1 diabetes. They're at touchedbytype1.org. You can also find them on Instagram and Facebook. You should check them out. They're not asking you to do anything, but check them out. It's a super simple ask. You're on the internet all the time anyway. I mean, how many times can you find out what Prince Harry's new baby's name is? Just touchedbytype1.org. Now, when you're done with that, we're going to head over to the Omnipod website. It's at omnipod.com forward slash juice box. And there you're going to find out if you're eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. Now, listen to what I just said. You're going to use an insulin pump for free for 30 days. So that could be, you know, you use a different pump now and you want to try the Omnipod, but you don't want to, you know, make the full commitment. That's cool. Try it out. Maybe you just want to see what it's like to swim tubelessly this summer. Hmm, tubeless swimming. It sounds intriguing, doesn't it? Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Maybe you're using the uh, the needles, the injections, the pens, and you think to yourself, I hear about these extended boluses, and I would really like to have more control over my basal insulin. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. It's a tubeless insulin pump. Are you kidding me? You got to go check it out right now. I mean, there's no tubing, no infusion set that runs to a tube that runs to a controller. That's right, Scott. That doesn't exist with the Omnipod. Now, last thing, and this is important. The Contour Next One blood glucose meter. You can look at that with your eyes on the internet at contournext.com forward slash juice box. Why would you do that when you probably already have a blood glucose meter? Well... I have some pretty clear thoughts on that, and I'm going to share them with you right now. The Contour Next One blood glucose meter is the most accurate meter my daughter has ever used. That is first, foremost, simple, 
It's easy and obvious to understand. You probably don't even need to listen anymore. You just head to contournext.com forward slash juice box right now. But if you want to know more, bright light for nighttime viewing, easy to read screen for the number thing, like, right? You look at the beep beep and then the number comes up. You want to be able to read it. You can. It's simple to hold and easy to use. It's intuitive designed. You know what I mean? There's an intuitive design to it. It's not clunky or weird or like a big teardrop or something. It fits nicely in your hand in the orientation that you use when you're testing. I know that might sound like way too deep dive on a blood glucose meter, but it's not. You grab it in your hand. It's kind of like a pencil thing. Boom, you go. You'll see it. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. It also has second chance test strips. So you can go into that blood, get some, but not enough. Head back, get the rest without wasting a test strip or impacting the accuracy of the test. It's a big deal. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. Best meter I've ever used. Why are you walking around with that junky meter in your pocket, in your pocketbook, in your bag? Did you even ask for it or did the doctor just give it to you? Did someone hand you a meter and tell you that was a meter? Did you even look into it? Contournext.com forward slash juice box. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Touched by type1.org. Back to Julia. All right, go ahead. Testing. You're there. You even notice, you even notice when your site. It's like when my site is bad right now, I will go up to like I'll start I'll start seeing myself creep up like you know above 180, and I know something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And I'm at the point where if I get into the mid 200s, I feel disgusting, like disgusting. Yeah, from a bad site, like and it ruins my day. Right. So that that is a point of burnout for me. Like I had a period a few weeks ago where I had a bad box of infusion sets and it was kind of dramatic because, you know, I, you know, I train on all of the pumps and everything and I have resources and I was, I tried a couple different boxes and that was a little frustrating, but even that, like I more felt frustrated because I didn't feel well opposed to feeling super burnt out. Well, that is something I didn't bring up that I, I meant to a little while ago. Cause you alluded to it, you know, when your blood sugar goes up and you're aggravated, you do have to see if you're an aggravated caregiver or an aggravated person with type 1 diabetes, you both have different stressors. An aggravated caregiver is worried they're hurting their the person they're caring for. Uh, the person who has diabetes is going to feel unwell because their blood sugar is high, which could lead to aggravation and does. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's so important for caregivers. And I mean, I'm not a caregiver, right? So this is just speaking as someone with diabetes who works with caregivers and people with diabetes. But I think my mom is not an angry person and was always supportive and compassionate when my blood sugars were going up and down throughout the years. Um, you know, when we had the type of pump that didn't even have self-adhesive on the infusion site or a bullets calculator, yeah. but that's a different story. Um, but yeah, so even when we had like that type of technology and I had technology failures, my mom was just sweet and compassionate and supportive. And I think that really helped me. And I think when I'm working with people with diabetes, you know, they don't want someone who's going to yell at them. There's so much shame. People come in so afraid and embarrassed to look at their data with me. Yeah. And that's not how it should be. People need support. So I, well, two things. First of all, the next time you speak to your mom, you find out for me and I'll ask you next time. 
did she smile to your face and then run into another room and yell into a pillow? Or was she just like that the whole time? That I want to know. And She's like that the whole time. I can verify. She's not an angry person. Just, it it's, just doesn't it's weird. Hit it's weird. She's innately like this magically not angry, not anxious person. And I don't understand. Um, <laughs> so but that's who she is. You don't <laughs> so believe- I wish she had tips for coping mechanisms because I don't think she does. I just think innately she was like, this is how it is. And we're going to do this. But I mean, I think in, in a way, too, she had good support. So maybe that's what helped her through it. Yeah. I don't know. You don't think she was like in the laundry room. She threw three sneakers in the dryer, turn it on, just yell fuck for 20 minutes. And then. No, she doesn't swear. It's so weird. <laughs> I swear. My mom doesn't. She's like, anytime I swear in front of her, she's like, I don't know where you came from. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know either. Oh, yeah, I guess so. She's all Zen and you're like all wound tight. Yeah. She's probably like, what happened? Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So we, again, this is going to be a, a meandering conversation because I don't have the real ability to do anything otherwise. But uh, so, so support is what you're saying. It's, I, I mean, I, I feel like what you're telling me is that if you're well supported, you're not the kind of person that flips out and causes more anxiety than needs to be. And you understand how to use insulin. These are the measures you take to try to avoid the things that we mentioned. Yeah. And I think um, when we're talking about support, support's only so helpful when you don't have the knowledge base and self-confidence and understanding and self-management. So the the two are very important together. Um, But I, you know, also there's other factors too, like resources. Um, Just think about when I was diagnosed, I went to Yale New Haven Hospital and had a great pediatric endo team. They gave us all the resources we needed, all of the knowledge that they had to share with us. If you're in a more rural area or don't have that amazing diabetes team, like that in itself can change your diagnosis story and what you're thinking and can impact you. I partly um, love how the podcast works because of geography and how some people just (laughs) don't have access to the same things that others do. But I, I'm also thinking that maybe like when you when you say you need good support, that probably can seem like pre-defeated to people, because what does that mean? Like, who, you know, if I don't know how to do diabetes, I think people might be thinking that support means that someone else will tell you how to do it, which obviously you need. But I mean, but I no, think that's more, about, more knowledge. Right. I think right. the other person is more of the knowledge base. I'm talking about like we didn't know anyone with diabetes. And I can tell you, we had, I mean, you know, this is pre-COVID times and everything. I had people coming into the hospital. My friends all showed up at the hospital. We danced around in hospital socks. I had, you know, I, we painted our nails. We did puzzles. We read books. Like, this is what I remember about being in the hospital. I don't remember being scared and sick. Yeah. yeah so, and that, that's what I meant is that real support is sort of not as much support as it is the lack of stress. Yes. Like you can support somebody by not adding to their burden. Exactly. And you just need people that you can lean on. Right. So part of what made my childhood so normal is that we had people that supported us and really came together to help our family. But they, you know, they also like, I went to sleepovers and yeah, probably that was probably something that made my mom really anxious, but we had multiple 
family friends that were willing to have me over for sleepovers. Like that is the type of support that made my childhood normal that, you know, my mom knew that these people were also willing to help care for me. And they just did what my mom said, right? So they didn't necessarily have the knowledge. It wasn't necessarily knowledge. It was just having that community support, people to lean on people to help us make the situation normal. Yeah. And not everyone has that. But I think what I'm trying to get at is if you have people you can lean on, that in itself can reduce the risk of anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I uh, Kelly's sister would have Arden overnight and she really just didn't know what she was doing really, but she just took good direction. She's like, so I'll test her here. I'm will. She was willing to be up at three o'clock in the morning to double check things. Like she just, she was, she, she was willing to create a place for Arden to feel like not accepted, but not excluded, I think is the idea. Right. Cause she was obviously accepted there. It's when the exclusion comes in. Well, I don't want to get up at three in the morning to check your kid's blood sugar so they can't stay while everybody else stays. It's not right, excluding right. people. Yeah. Excuse me. And the other thing that really helped me to feeling a sense of normalcy was actually going to diabetes camp. Mm-hmm. So I think before I went to camp, I did not care to show anyone my insulin pump. I kind of, you know, I felt different, even though I had a great support system and my friends were very nice about it and, you know, very supportive about me wearing an insulin pump. I just, I didn't really want to show people I didn't know. I kind of covered it up. And so going to diabetes camp also gave me another sense of normalcy and support. I'm like, wow, I'm not in this alone. There's all these other kids like me. So I see some, Instagram do that for people. Like yeah. Their ability to just show their pump or put in their bio, I have diabetes. Like, I think that's another form of not hiding. Yeah, no, Instagram, though, did you say Instagram, you got cut off? I did. Yeah, I just mean a place, a place where someone can go out into the world, whether anybody sees it or not, and say, look, my my CGM's on my arm. It's okay. Like, this is a normal picture of me and my friend, and I'm not hiding this thing. It's not that they're not hiding it. It's that they're, they're expressing that it exists. And, and I, I don't know, like, I, I also see the value for some people not telling anybody. I understand when adults tell me they don't want their boss to know they have diabetes. I get that. Well, that's a different, but that's that's a a different different stressor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's a different, totally different situation. It's, you don't want to be judged or treated differently or, you know, not given the same opportunities in the workplace because of it. Right. Yeah. It's different than just saying, Hey world, look, I have a insulin pump on. Like that's not not the same thing, but still they, I get we're going to diabetes camp is just fine. You're at a place where literally nobody can hide that they have diabetes. You need to have it to get in. So yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We don't let kids come here. who don't have diabetes. We all have it. And then that, that's just one consideration that's gone. I, yeah. every, everyone knows and and maybe everyone's experience isn't the same, but at least there's we have a baseline that we all share, I guess. But I actually think diabetes camp opened my eyes to so many things. So I made friends from all different backgrounds at camp and that to this day has really shaped who I am. So just a little shout out to diabetes camp. Uh, camps in general really teach kids a lot of skills that you don't get otherwise. So I benefited from camp in general. Um, You know, 
from my own development standpoint, but also I grew as a person with diabetes when I first met more people my age with diabetes. Camp's a funny thing because I think people have one of two very dis- distinct and different reactions to it. Either it seems exactly the way it seems to you or other people are like, oh, I am not doing that. And I don't, I would never want to do that. Like, I just, it's, I think there's, there, that falls into two basic factions. Like, you're either, this is a great idea, or, oh my God, I cannot think of anything worse than going to a place with a bunch of people I don't know and sleeping in a cabin with them for two weeks. I, I don't. Well, I was really scared. I was really scared. I actually used to not be an outgoing person at all. And I, it, it did freak me out, not lying. Um, but I think it made me more comfortable and, kind of helped me connect with um, people in a different way. And it took me out of my comfort zone. And I think that's what's helped me grow. Yeah. No, I listen, I'm not saying there's a right or wrong. I'm just saying, I think there's a reaction to the, uh, I don't even mean diabetes camp, by the way. There are people like, if you oh yeah, to- all sleepaway camps. Yeah. yeah for oh, sure. If you told me when I was 15 that I would expand myself by going to a summer camp, I would go, <laughs> I'm not doing that. And, and that, yeah. would, <laughs> that would be the end of it right there. I, yeah. I don't, there's nothing about that that strikes me as a good idea. And I, and I'm not discounting how amazing it is for other people at all. I'm just saying that for me personally, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Um, okay. So I, I guess, I, I guess I'd like to know too, and it feels like it fits in here a little bit. How do I recognize an eating disorder as it's approaching? Yeah. So I actually didn't even have a chance to go into like the risks for eating disorders and diabetes. They're a little bit different than anxiety and depression, which is why to, I didn't do you have time mention to do it that? so much. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I have a yeah, I have some time. Um, I don't really have time, but I have time for you. <laughs> so, you. um, so with eating disorders, you know, someone who's more prone to anxiety innately is at a slightly higher chance of an eating disorder, and then any trauma like a traumatic diagnosis or um, any type of like family trauma or any type of trauma can also contribute to all of those mental health disorders and increase the risk for an eating disorder. But with diabetes, eating disorders are actually more prevalent than in the general population because part of diabetes is this focus. There's two things. One is the focus on managing your blood sugars and trying to keep them in range when you know, it's not super easy for everyone to do that. Not everyone's given all those tools, right? And especially for someone who really wants to control everything, like that lack of control is what really can contribute to the development of an eating disorder. So I think, you know, this won't prevent all eating disorders, but if you give your kids just the ability to feel like they're in control some way of their life or their diabetes, I think that may um, you know, help prevent eating disorders slightly. But that being said, if somebody is really fixated on trying to control their blood sugars, you know, in a certain range and perfect it, and they can't, that can contribute to controlling what controlling something, which would be what you eat or what you put into your body. And the other thing with diabetes that contributes to a high risk of eating disorder, higher risk of eating disorders is just the fixation on everything we're putting in our bodies, right? So the fixation on all of these foods and how they impact our bodies and the carbohydrate content and counting everything, like that can also contribute to a higher risk of eating disorders. And I left out too, just the um, 
the feelings that you're not normal and discomfort with your own body because of diabetes is also something that contributes. So there's all those factors in addition to all of the other psychological barriers and factors that can um, increase the risk of um, psychological distress and mental health diagnoses in people with diabetes. So with eating disorders, that's kind of what contributes to them. But the signs in diabetes, you know, are unique because we have more data to look at. So um, in particular, one of the biggest telltale signs is frequent DKA episodes, um, consistent high blood sugars, um, omission or not giving insulin, um, particularly at meals, eating carbs uncovered, I mean, some teens are going to eat carbs uncovered, but it's more of like a behavior where you physically can't get yourself to give insulin to cover the carbs because you are trying to keep your blood sugars higher. Um, so some of those are kind of more in line with um, diabulimia, mm -hmm. but you know, there are people with type one that also have anorexia. And so with that, you might see um, more low blood sugars and those lows might not come up the same way that they would in somebody with um, glycogen stores. So anorexia, I mean, not to like freak anyone out, but anorexia can be very dangerous too um, with diabetes in addition to diabulimia. And I think we focus more on diabulimia, but anorexia is out there too. Um, and are you the, saying, the are kind you, of the lows. Are you saying because with the lack of any kind of food in your body or the 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 regurgitation of the food your body doesn't have the ability to store glycogen either so when you get low the, your liver can't even help stabilize yeah. your blood sugar is that what you're saying yeah <clears throat> oh that's frightening um yeah it's yeah, frightening yeah. so yeah so psa um if you know anyone who has diabetes and anorexia if they do go very low glucagon may not work um so that would be a situation where you have to give dextrose or glucose um, IV dextrose if they're unconscious, unfortunately. I, I saw so. someone give glucagon on, like they were talking about their a low blood sugar incident and that they use glucagon a number of times. And I was like, I don't think they understand how this works <laughs> because, yeah. because they put it in, you put it in once and your body releases the stored, you know, uh, glucagon. Uh, right. But you, putting in more doesn't it's your the stuff in the needle isn't the stuff that makes your blood sugar come up the stuff in the needle is the stuff that releases the glucagons and 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 that stuff i i know i'm not speaking technically the point is using three glucagons is no different than using one glucagon but yes i watched this person make that mistake and this was not a new person to diabetes which made me want to bring it up somewhere because it, it did not it seemed like something they should not have not understood so. Well, sometimes we recommend to give a second dose, but that's like if you have a lot of insulin in the system and need a greater release of stores, right? But if it's not working, it's not working because there's not, you don't have the stores. Um, so I didn't some mean point, to like go all the... morbid, but, um, <laughs> but it is a sign like lows that won't come up like that can be a, a sign of anorexia as well. Okay. So, um, and then there's just the signs of typical eating disorders too, like with exercise anorexia, right? So exercising off more than you're taking in um can be assigned to wow and and it's interesting too that as you're explaining it the idea of wanting to control something is at the core of all these ideas i'm either going to eat a lot i'm controlling that or mm -hmm. i'm going to eat nothing you're controlling the flow of food 
right? Yeah. And and so when so these things come when you when the mind can't find any sense of control anywhere else. Yep. And the other thing too that I didn't even get into is binge eating. Binge eating is really common um in uh, in adults. I see it a lot in adults with diabetes and that in itself it's you're you you're trying to control something and then you kind of just eat everything, right? And that's part of the stress release mechanism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what is what can binge eating look like is it constant snacking or is it no. no, it's sitting down with a mass of food that not no one should take in at one time and just forcing it in? Well, so a lot of people who binge eat will do it in private. Like they're not going to do it in front of others. But um a lot of times they they don't eat a lot and then or they're trying really hard to um for lack of a better word, control what they're eating. Mm-hmm. Like eat like having following kind of like a rigid diet and then they'll just binge on something um later on and the the things that people binge on are different based on the person but um a lot of times it's in private um at home and i can't even tell you because i i don't do therapy with people who binge i just know i i work with people's insulin management when they have binge eating diagnosis um So yeah, a lot of times it's, it's eating a lot of food and it's a stress relief mechanism. Wow. Oh, geez. Yeah. Oh, see, you're, you're, you're like, you're very upbeat. Everything, everything you bring up is exciting. (laughs) I mean, I think (laughs) it was my topic in fairness. (laughs) I feel like anyone that is seeking help, I mean, I I look at it from the standpoint, like anyone that's coming to me for help with insulin management, that's seeing someone else to um, help with their diagnosis, like they're doing all that they can to take control of their diabetes. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. So. I, w- what you're describing that I don't know if it's coming out or not is that while, while a person is off trying to address their eating disorder with someone, you're actually helping them use the insulin to get through the eating disorder. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I do that a lot actually. Um, so we had a dietitian who worked with me who specialized also in eating disorders and she left. So I took on a couple of her patients, but even before that, I had some experience from diabetes camp throughout the years um, with adolescents who had eating disorders of various types. And then because eating disorders are more prevalent in people with diabetes than in the general population, I do have a handful of patients who um, have eating disorders. Hmm. So, wow. Yeah. Uh, well, that's really nice work. It's good work you're doing. And I appreciate you coming on the show and talking about this. We're obviously going to try to do this more frequently with you. Um, yeah. So, uh, but I appreciate I don't think we that. really had time today to go into like, how do you handle no. these situations? No, I I, th- I think about 20 minutes into you talking, I realized that this is not an, uh, this is not a A to B conversation. This is a longer, you know, cha- these are chapters, not, not just like, you know, bullet points. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and not only that, but we had a little technical problem in the beginning that was my fault. And so we were a little shorter on time than usual, but still I realized an extra 10 minutes wasn't going to help anything. This is a, an ongoing conversation. 
So yeah, you, we could talk for a long time about it. And, so and we, I will be here to complete the chapters. <laughs> cool. And we will. That's it. So Julia's just trying to stay on the podcast more. She's like, oh, I'll just stretch, hey. I'll stretch this out a little bit. No, no, it no. was your idea. I know it was. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Look at you. Look, you got uptight right away. You're like, don't blame me for this. <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't do this. <laughs> One day we're going to get into your specific insanity. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um. Man. I really do appreciate you doing this. Um, and, you know, I, I really, you know, I'm not going to keep saying it to you over and over again, but your amassed knowledge uh, and how much you've put into all this already in your life is really impressive. So I'd like to keep this podcast going for a long time so I can find out what else you do. I want to see what like 48 oh, year old Julia does. I'll be like, can you talk louder? Because I won't be able to hear you by then. <laughs> and you'll be like, why are these AirPods not working? I'm like, I don't know. Huge thanks to Julia for coming back on the show. Thanks to Omnipod for sponsoring. Thanks to the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter for sponsoring. And thanks to Touched by Type 1. Now you can check out Touched by Type 1 on Facebook or Instagram. And of course at touchedbytype1.org. Check to see if you're eligible for the free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash at omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. And get yourself... More information about the Contour Next One blood glucose meter or get started today at contournext.com forward slash juice box. You may be eligible for a free meter. Supporting the show is as easy as sharing and subscribing. Subscribe in the podcast app you're listening to. Share with someone who you think might enjoy the show. You support the show, I'll do the rest.